Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome to Mount Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus and tonight I am honored to bring you the Pep Talk, one of our legacy shows hosted by John Carl Pepe. Greetings and welcome, John. How are you today? Excellent, Hercules. How are you? Excellent as well. I'm really looking forward to your show. If you need me for anything, just holler. Sounds good. We'll be right here. (laughs) Great. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pep Talk for February 4th, 2024. Uh, We're going to kick things off on a little bit of a somber note. uh, So I'd like to get these done at the top of the show. Uh, I always feel it's best to acknowledge those who uh, are no longer with us, but who have affected us. So uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, I think we're bummed out to hear that Carl Weathers, a fantastic actor, writer, director, uh, a man who really touched all the corners of pop culture. He hit all those cornerstones and, uh, uh, you know, just uh, a, a great talent. Uh, we are we are bereft of that at this point. So we're going to part going to dedicate this show to Carl Weathers uh, and just the fantastic body of work that he did leave behind. And by all accounts, apparently a really good guy, too. So uh, now we're going to get to the good part, the birthdays. So we had a lot of birthdays uh, since we were last here. Uh, so a few uh, of note that I just want to give some shout-outs to. Uh, first and foremost, my uh, my oldest brother, David, he turned 60, and uh, he's racked up the bona fides in, in his 60 years. He is an attorney, a brother, a father, a friend, and is uh, a wonderful husband and is now a grandfather. So that is very exciting for him. So happy belated birthday, David. Uh, love you. Thank you for all you've done for me. Uh, and uh, and your and your wonderful family. Uh, now his his granddaughter, my my great niece Savannah Rose Marissa, was born uh, just a few days ago, about a week or so ago now, and uh, she shares a birthday with my uh, brother-in-law on another on my wife's side of the family, Joe. So happy birthday! Welcome to the world, Savannah Rose. Uh, we're going to also partially dedicate this show to you. Your it's, uh, baby's first uh, first uh, pep talk here. So, uh, and of course, uh, happy birthday, Joe! And uh, can't let it go by without wishing my wonderful and supportive wife Sherry as well. Uh, she is my greatest source of encouragement and strength, and uh, I think she has said uh, at times that I am uh, the same for her. So couldn't couldn't. Do this without you, sweetheart. Uh, of course, I can't, I'll be remiss also if I can't, uh, if I don't mention myself. I turned 49 uh, on the 30th, and that's a great day. There's a lot of wonderful, talented uh, people there. Uh, you know, Gene Hackman, Christian Bale, Dick Cheney, Phil Collins, you know, the whole spectrum of, uh, of, of, of notable people there. So it's a good birthday to share. And depending on what you believe, uh, January 17th, I believe, would have been the 75th birthday of Andrew Jeffrey Kaufman. And as everybody knows, I'm a big fan of Andy Kaufman and this whole year celebrating uh, his, depending on what you would believe, uh, his 75th birthday uh, or uh, and also as well the 40 years of, again, depending on what you believe, his passing. So uh, we've got a lot of great guests that are kind of in that world coming up through this year of the pep talk. And uh, tonight's guest is going to be the first of those. And uh, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, So basically, about 15 years ago, I found an article uh, in Weird, New Jersey about a 
press conference uh, event that was billed as the Andy Kaufman press conference. Uh, article was written by Chris Cathard, uh, probably one of the, the most extraordinary stand-up philosophers out there today. He does some great stuff. Uh, if you don't know him already, check out what he does. Uh, and there were a lot of interesting characters uh, and people who were in attendance at this press conference. And one of them really stood out to me. And I kind of started to look into what he does. And it, this man is, I, I'm going to say, a pioneer in a, a, a specific type of podcasting. And I do not listen to any other podcasts. Uh, one I do listen to just to steal stuff from. But uh, for the most part, I don't even listen to this podcast. So, uh, so I, I was very uh, happy to discover what this man does and now I haven't listened to him for quite some time but uh you know the 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 overnightscape underground uh on sug radio I mean it's just a treasure trove of amazing stuff and it's quickly approaching I believe 1500 episodes and he's got a lot of exciting things happening so we're going to talk about that and then we're going to get into some other fun stuff uh so really enough of my yakking without further ado folks I give you the Rampler himself, Frank Edward <laughs> Nora. Hello. Hey. Yes, this is the Rampler. <laughs> I haven't been known as the Rampler for, for a long time, but I'll always be the I Rampler at some level, yes. <laughs> exactly. I held back on that one. I I, uh, I almost wanted to write that in the little promo I did, but uh, but I want to hold back to that because yeah, I know that's uh, that's what I was introduced to you as in this in this article and and in my discovery of your your work. Uh, but but yeah, I, uh, I I've noticed that it's something you have not used for a while. So I kind of want to get into the origins of that name. But before we kind of get into your beginnings. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Overnightscape and uh, exactly what it is, how, how you started it, and what you have evolved it into. Yeah, so the Overnightscape is a, uh, I guess you'd call it a podcast, but it's a monologue podcast, so it's just me talking. Mm -hmm. Occasionally I have guests, but uh, I found that the monologue format is something that, um, first of all, makes a much greater connection to the audience. And mm -hmm. it is just uh, very enjoyable to do, but it's not really very uh, intuitive to do a, to do a, uh, a monologue show. Uh, so before that, I was doing a show with a co-host, as I think many people do. And uh, at, I, re I found online, this was around the year 2000, an archive okay. of Gene Shepard radio shows. Now, Gene Shepard, mm -hmm. everyone mm -hmm. probably knows him as the guy that created and narrated A Christmas Story, which has become one of these huge pop culture things. Um, in, in, but he did in a God radio we show. Trust, in, in God all We Trust, pay cash, All Others yes. Pay Cash. Yep. Yes. And my father had that book on the bookshelf growing up. So my father used to talk about Gene Shepard. And so I knew of Gene Shepard, but he went off the air. He was on the New York radio from, the, I'd say, the mid-50s through the mid-70s. Yep. And uh, so I was too young to listen to him. But around 2000, I found this website called Fathead Central, and they had collected thousands of episodes because people loved his show so much they would record it. And people mm. are still sharing and discovering new episodes of this show. So I, I got the archive, and I started listening on an early MP3 player on my commute into New York City every day listening to Gene Shepard shows. And his show was a pure <laughs> monologue show. 
he was on the air. He was on WOR, a mm-hmm. station that had a very strong signal at night, especially people all mm-hmm. over the probably half the country could hear it. And he just told stories, talked about his experiences in New York City, talked about pop culture, history, philosophy, all this stuff. And I was absolutely entranced and amazed and loved it. Um, so after a couple of years of listening to this entire archive, um, one night in 2003, I decided to try it out for myself. And uh, I had the equipment that I had bought, and uh, I just started doing it. And it was not so easy at first, but over time, and especially from listening to Gene Shepard, I was able to get into the rhythm of it and, uh, and do the, a, a monologue show. As I said, it's a very different kind of, of uh, podcasting, a very different kind of show. I could do it on my own time, and I felt, again, that it creates this connection with your audience. Um, so that's how it started. Mm. I, yeah, I have my, when my note here. I have uh, basically what you know, I find what you do is you, you, you have a very fascinating way of exploring the human condition and the world around us. Because one of the things I, used to, I, I liked when I was listening to your podcast, um, you know, when I was introduced to it, and again, I, I have a lot of catching up to do. I, I do admit that. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, you would do a lot of your monologuing, you'd be walking around. You'd be walking around New York City or, or some fascinating place and kind of just talking about and describing what you see around you and sometimes it would be interesting people or certain anomalies something that looked out of place which i was really found very engaging very fascinating and you know from what i knew at the time of the world of podcasting 15 years ago uh very unique and uh and i thought that was really really cool that 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 you know that you would also do that you would do things like on your commute you would do uh you would record stuff if i remember correctly yeah well that's what happened um you mentioned that press conference. That really was a, a real turning point. I was doing the show and was involved in the early days of podcasting. It was really exciting because I started the show about a year and a half before podcasting started, which was around this, the late summer of 2004 is when podcasting really got, got going. And as soon as I caught wind yep. of it, there was an article in Wired Magazine, October 2004. Um, I sort of swiped uh, uh, the XML feed from another show and started podcasting my show. So I happened to be one of the first podcasters, right? Uh, and uh, even though I had been doing my show about a year and a half, uh, I was at work. I got a call from a reporter from uh, the Times of London to interview me. So I got a, sort of a full-page uh, article in their weekend magazine because there were very few podcasters back then. And uh, the first few podcast expos out in California were really exciting. But as uh, time went on, it's sort of strange. People don't know that podcasting rose and fell kind of in that time period. So when you got mm-hmm. into like 2008, 2009, podcasting was kind of on a downturn, came back, I think, in 2012 with that serial podcast. And obviously now it's, you know, it's taken off again. Um, yeah. But around that time, I felt like, you know, I always was wondering, you know, am I spending too much time on this? I was spending a lot of time at home doing the show. So eventually I figured out this way of uh, the digital recorders, right? When I started the show, there were no digital portable recorders. I was <laughs> still using a... Uh, a cassette Walkman recorder, but yeah. those uh, devices started coming out. So uh, yeah, so in uh, at 2008, I started doing a show called The Rampler, a separate show, walking around New York City, and that's where the Andy Kaufman stuff comes in. Um, okay. Yeah. So it was the, it was it originated as The Rampler, and what were the what's the origin of 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 that uh, as far as a, a moniker to go by? 
So the so the idea was so the show was you know the overnight scape from the start and then looking back I don't know why I just didn't continue calling it the overnight scape for some reason I felt the show had a very different feel and tone walking around New York City so I was mm-hmm. sort of walking or rambling around so I was rambling means sort of wandering around physically but it also means talking about lots of different things in an aimless fashion right so I was sort of a rambler in in two senses. And rampler with a P was actually an alternate, and, and you know, if you look in the dictionary, it's actually an alternate form of rambler. And I really like ah. that sound of that. So that's where the rampler came in, and uh, that show really took off uh, in its own way with this Andy Kaufman angle, and uh, led to the press conference, as as you mentioned. Which then led the next, and we'll get into more detail in the press conference, but then led one of the guys at the press conference was this guy, Bryce, who was a DJ at WFMU broadcasting out of Jersey City, this independent yep. radio station. So for some reason, and I still don't know why, they asked me to come on the station. So all of 2009 was basically me uh, developing the show, doing fill-in shows, and then in the summer they gave me a time slot, which was uh, after midnight, Friday night, so Saturday morning, 2 to 6 a.m. Yeah, and I, did I it remember. All I was Yeah. Yeah, so I did it all summer, and uh, then for some reason they like, oh, we don't like your show. They kicked me off. So. <laughs> um, then to uh, my channel, which was just my shows, it became a group show. People started sending in their shows to put on this channel called the Overnightscape Underground now, and it was amazing because I did not architect it. I didn't intend it to happen. It just sort of happened. After that, nice. uh, so many people started doing shows on the channel, so it became like a podcast network. Hmm. That's amazing. And That's great. Yeah. So that was like such a strange year, 2009, and everything sort of changed. And again, that Andy Kaufman stuff sort of led to that. And so, you know, now it's 2024. Basically, uh, it has continued going the whole – and it's amazing to me that it has kept going. Um, so many people have done – shows on the channel and still do shows on the Overnight Escape Underground. You can find it on sub.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. Um, still going. And I and I'm, I find it mysterious, but I know a good thing when I see it. So I'm going to stick with it uh, because, uh, yeah, and I, and I think the fact that there's other shows helps encourage me and I help encourage them. And we're mm-hmm. building up this archive. And one of our big focuses is to preserve these shows for the future. Because yeah. of my experience with those recordings from – the 1960s and 70s and how it so much changed my life. I figured we could produce audio that might be of uh, some interest to people in the farther future. So that's been a big, uh, big focus of ours. That's really cool. And uh, so what is your frequency? Uh, Cause you used to pretty much do it daily, if I remember correctly, or almost daily. Uh, so what is your frequency for your contributions? So the, sh- the sh- my show, The Overnight Scape, I do twice a week. Sort of twice a week. Without fail. It's, it's, it's twice a week. Sometimes, usually it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, but it can, it can vary. But it's been that same schedule for a long time now. And you do the same thing? You do, uh, 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 you do the, the, the walking around and chronicling? Uh, or is it a mix? Do you do some studio monologuing? Yeah, so uh, it's, it, it's a mix of at home or in, in uh, you know, walking around outside of course uh the pandemic completely changed that so i was working in new york city but with the pandemic starting in 2020 i was working from home and uh mm-hmm. i was I, I discovered the town i live in here in northern new jersey and i was walking around the town 
or just doing the yep. show around the house, but just using the same portable recorder in the house. And I find that with this particular format, sort of like whatever's going on, right, it's something to talk about, and it provides a contact. So the pandemic was created new textures for the show and new directions for the show. That So I was able to sort of take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And do you – do you you know choose topics before or or do you know do you map anything out or do you just kind of is it all riffing off the cuff? So it's all based on uh, on notes that I so I have sort of because I've been doing this for so long it's become a kind of a lifestyle. So every yeah. 24 hours a day, I'm, my mind is working to come up with topics for the show, and it's usually stuff that I'm observing randomly surfing on the internet. I'll jot it down. I use uh, Google Notes that for the Notepad. Amazingly, usually I I have enough stuff to talk about. Uh, every time I go to do a show, I have those show notes that I've been building up. So I'm constantly leaving, uh, making those notes. And it's weird because I sometimes I step back and say, well, should, shouldn't there be one week where I don't have anything to talk about? But somehow there's always a supply of stuff to, uh, to talk about. And it's sort of become integrated with my life. As I do feel, what I what I say, one thing I say about this, I think we're living right now in the early 21st century and perhaps one of the most interesting time periods that will ever be. And mm-hmm. to be able to hear someone at ground level kind of talking about all the ins and outs of what it's like living in the early 21st century, I think is, as I said, I think it's going to be of great interest to people in the future. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, I sort of have that perspective. This is a very interesting time period because we just went through the 20th century and all that happened in the 20th century in all ways, technology, culture, and everything else. And now, especially because I'm Generation X, was born in the late 60s. Um, mm-hmm. I got to experience a good portion of that. And it seems like this time period in the 2020s is a great time to look back because you can think, think of a TV show, now you can just watch it instantly on, online, which was not mm-hmm. possible back then. Right, right. Um, so do you, uh, you know, how fickle do you choose to get or, or how political do you choose to get or do you kind of stay in the realm of, everyday surrounding slice of life and, and, and uh, pop culture observations as well. Yeah, I feel like it, 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 it's all, it, I really do, you know, I, I feel like I have a, what's the right way of putting it? I, I, I sort of think about, do I think this will be interesting, good for the show? Um, mm-hmm. The way I describe it is it is, uh, you know, sort of leisure time activities, pop culture, Mysteries of the universe and uh, and the madness of the mundane, sort of everyday things, sort of <laughs> like I lost my comb recently. I had to buy a new comb, and I, that was a whole topic on the show. <laughs> There's a certain comb they don't make anymore. They used to make them in the 80s, and you go on eBay, and you could buy one for $20, and that was a whole thing on the show. Um, as far as politics go, it's, it's funny because I, uh, I don't shy away from the topic, but I'm personally kind of – I feel alienated from the mainstream politics. Uh, the last couple times I voted for this kind of gag candidate named Steve Saylor who was – uh, 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 he has a YouTube channel, and he talks about you know new kinds of economies and stuff. And the last time I voted, I actually voted for a Pogo Possum. Maybe a few decades <laughs> too late, but if you remember, Pogo was a big presidential candidate in uh, the 1950s. So, yeah, I actually well, cast Kelly, a vote for yeah. Pogo Possum. So that was kind of that sort of gives you an idea of my uh, my politics. Very good, very good. <laughs> and um, as far as the contributors. Uh, uh, do they also just sort of do the same, the the same 
format or does it do they you know do, do they do interview shows or do they do you know um, it's sort of it's sort of a what you will I guess for the the, the contributors correct yeah the people doing shows on the channel they're it's all quite different uh, a lot of them are monologue shows we have some that have uh, co-hosts and uh, there's a, a, a wide variety uh, of shows on the channel there's these guys Fusebox out in uh, Portland Oregon that do more production work so they'd have like an, an amazing surreal humor kind of uh, comedy show um, we have uh, people all over the world uh, doing stuff so yeah it's really worth uh, checking out in fact I just released a new co- a new version of my book which lists all the shows and I was uh, gonna... yeah <laughs> I was gonna get to that yeah so so it's funny how you talk about preserving and making this material accessible uh, especially in the digital age uh, where everything is, is available at our fingertips. And you made the bold choice of saying, I'm going to take all of this content, this digital content, I'm going to preserve it as a book, uh, which I find uh, is, is uh, a remarkable reverse engineering. Uh, so let's, uh, let's I, I, I'm going to kind of play a little bit of the contrarian here, but I want to help you move some paper, right? So, um, Hey, hey, Frank! I can just listen to any of this stuff uh, whenever I want. Why, why should I buy a book? I don't even know what a so, book is anymore. <laughs> so yes, so the the idea of um, this this really relates to the idea that we want to preserve these shows on into the far future, perhaps hundreds or thousands of years. And the one object, the one idea, the one concept that feels the most permanent is a book, right? So I have books you know, on my bookshelf that are hundred, literally hundreds of years old and they're still yep. sitting here. Whereas everything else from like, you know, 1780 is like mostly gone, but uh, the books, right. People don't want to throw them away. They want to keep them or give them to someone else. So a book has a sense of uh, permanence. And because what we do, we're actually a non-commercial project. You know, we don't, we don't, we, you know, we don't even try to raise money or do Kickstarters or anything. It's non-commercial. So we don't have any kind of a platform. So like uh, someone that has a corporation behind them or an actual radio station, they have a platform. They have a, sort of a basis for it, but we don't really have a platform. So my idea was to, to sort of come up with the idea that this is a radio station inside this book. And the first thing it does is it's someone in their mind when you sort of – whenever you hear about something, you, you sort of file it in your mind, a radio station inside a book. So really no one else has done that, and it kind of – provides it kind of a virtual platform, so to speak. <laughs> the physical book also, I feel, any copy of this book that's out there will persist and people will find it on into the future as sort of yep. a physical bookmark in reality because Bingo. it's a bit counterintuitive. But in the early days of podcasting, we're talking uh, 2004, 2008, 2009, I would say that a vast majority of those shows have been permanently lost because no one – the funny thing is, uh, though it's so easy to duplicate things digitally, it's very easy to lose them, mm-hmm. which wasn't mm-hmm. the case in the past. You know, you think about something kind of similar, sort of the garage rock revolution in the late 60s. Every kid had a band, and they cut a 45 record. <laughs> Those yep. records would still exist in a drawer, in a closet. Someone had them. But these podcasts people were doing in 2004, 2005, 2006, they were hosting them on these websites, and eventually these people lost interest. The hard drives crashed. They stopped paying for the hosting, and those shows are gone. I feel that I probably have on my backup discs episodes of other people's shows that I would have the only copy of. 
So that's hmm. why um, this digital uh, files are great, but they're, they have a, a kind of a, an ephemerality that's kind of alarming. Yep. So that's, that's yep. why I wanted something in the real world, in the physical world, that would serve as a bookmark. Yep, exactly. Like, you look, at, at, at some point, you know, the whole grid could come crashing down, right? And all that digital information is wiped away. But you, you nailed it, man. Books, I mean, it's, uh, so I'm, you know, I, my, my day job is I work at a comic book shop. And that is, you know, we deal in tangibles, you know. Uh, I am a tangible. I like having records. I like having a physical book. I like having, you know, holding a comic book, you know, rather than, than reading all that stuff digitally. And so you nailed it that, yeah, that book will, will be preserved as a bookmark of time uh, as far as what this community is that, that you have created. Uh, so exactly what is in the book? I mean, is it, is, it, is, it, is there some transcribing of actual, actual shows or is it just a, 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 an episode log? Uh, with summaries, what exactly uh, would one get with the uh, purchase? So the print book, which is which is about five, a little over 500 pages, is mainly it's a listing of the shows because there's pretty much almost 12,000 individual episodes at this point. It also <sighs> gives the dis- descriptions of of the shows, and in the beginning, you know, there's a uh, you know I write the history of everything, and um, but there's also a digital version of the book, the PDF, <laughs> which adds another 3,000 pages, which includes. Wow. Most of the artwork, or eventually, will include all the all of the show art, and then also um, all of the descriptions. So, right, all of the, you know, each show has a description, so that's in that extended form um, mm-hmm. of the book. So, you, when you download the PDF, you get all of that as well. And wow. my goal is to actually include the digital files in the book at some point. I have, uh, you know, it fits in a terabyte. Terabyte flash drives have not gone down in price, which is very frustrating mm. because we remember the, early, the earlier days where. The one gig drive, the 10 gig drive, they all kept going down in price, but the terabyte has sort of been stuck for like five, 10 years. Uh, but I do have several um, terabyte drives that have everything on there. So it's all local. It's not on a, it, it's, it's on the, it's, it's in the internet archive and on my site, but eventually I want to figure out how to sort of incorporate those files into the book. And I know that there's technologies okay. where they're going to be sort of binding into the physical paper and the structure of the book, electronics that can store this stuff. So that's, I'm really keeping my, 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 my ear to the ground if that technology comes around because I want the book to contain it. And then also the book as a virtual object in the metaverse, which I'm starting hearing chatter that the metaverse is back now. So this book will exist <laughs> in the metaverse as, as, as a book that you can have in your, in your virtual home. And I think that's going to be another important uh, manifestation of the book. Wow! Look at you. You are you are always the pioneer. You're always looking for uh, new ways to to reach people and to uh, you know to to to, to monologue and, and get what you uh, you have to say out there. That is remarkable and that is amazing. Very commendable. Um, so how uh, how can we get this book? So just go to the website. It's onsug.com. That's O N S U G. It just stands for Overnight Scape underground onsug and the way you can remember it i always talk about being a, a little kid in the 1970s and the greatest moment of the week as a kid in the 70s was saturday morning because that was really the only time <laughs> the premiere the best cartoons and those crazy live action shows like you know with people in the puppet costumes and everything were on so you'd wake up early in the morning as a kid 
And that was the time when the cereal was so sugary. It had super sugar smacks and honeycombs and everything. <laughs> so they encouraged little children to sit in front of the TV and eat mass quantities of this sugared cereal. And then you wind up getting these sugar highs. They're like bouncing off the walls. You weren't, the, the kids weren't on drugs. They were on sugar, right? They were on sugar. So if you think yeah. about the phrase they were on hyper. sugar. We, don't have too much yes. sugar. It'll make the kids hyper. <laughs> yes, exactly. So if you think about these kids watching these cartoons Saturday morning, they're not on drugs. They're on sugar. So if you think about that phrase, on sugar, O-N-S-U-G-A-R, just take the A-R off, and you've just spelled onsug. That's how you can remember onsug.com. That's my mnemonic device. And onsug.com, yeah, you'll find the, uh, a picture of the book. Just click on that. It says get the book, buy it. Uh, you can download the PDF for free, and you can buy the book on Amazon. It's print-on-demand, and as we are a non-commercial project, I priced it at the very lowest possible price, so it's $12 and change in the U.S., and I don't make any money on it, and that's sort of by design. Um, we've $12 also been including a, a five, yeah. twelve yes. twelve dollars yes. for a five hundred page book is a yes. great deal. Yes. So there there is <laughs> yeah. actually another reason why it's not commercial because we've been I've been including tons of Creative Commons licensed music and stuff in my show mm. that has the non commercial clause. So it's not just a good idea. It's actually I've sort of bound myself into this non commercial thing by playing all that stuff. Which right, I'm very happy right. with. I, I don't think this project would have gotten very far if there's any money involved. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You do it for the love of the game. You know, it's uh, yes. that's sort of sort of how I, I wound up doing this as well. And and, and yeah, it's just it's just you, you enjoy doing it. Uh, for, in my case, I enjoy talking to people, and have had a wonderful opportunity to you know bring friends and and you know extended friends on. Uh, it's just it's a wonderful world. And yeah, the fact that that the technology is out there that that anybody can do this is is fantastic. You know, and uh, do you you still take contributions as well to the uh, to the the, the dot com? Well. There may, I think there may still be a. I'm not sure because this is. I, I, my, I have to admit, my website is a bit long in the tooth, as they say. There is still a tip jar, but I, ha, I don't really, I don't promote that anymore. So, people have been very, very generous over the years. So I have to say, uh, with the tip jar, but it, it doesn't really. Yeah, it doesn't really. That's not really something I talk about too much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, you no, know, you know, the Grateful Dead has a great song called "Keep Your Day Job," which I have. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. I was really talking more about people who wanted to contribute content to the uh, – Oh, contribute content, yeah. So we have yeah. a, uh, a show called Overnightscape Central that – it was uh, a weekly show. Now it's monthly, and everyone is, is invited to uh, contribute. In fact, um, coming up on February 10th is the deadline for the next episode, which is going to be about uh, old-time religion, old-time, uh, old-time rock and roll, and old-time radio. So uh, just go to onsuck.com, look for the latest episode of Overnight Cape Central. You get all the information you need to contribute, and uh, that show's been going over 10 years. That's another amazing aspect of, of this the Onsug Radio is, uh, is this the central. We have a new topic each week, and we've done about every topic under the sun. <laughs> so, yeah, it should be That's interesting. Great. And um, And as well, people have contacted me to propose new shows, and uh, there's been a few new shows, uh, not so many new shows over the past couple of years, but... There's been like two new shows last year or two. And, yeah, if you have a show you want to put on there, just let me know. That's great. My email That's address great. is yeah. at onsug.com. Yeah. 
And if you can find that virtual tip jar, you know, you know, help 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 the guy out. But you can really help out by buying the book as well, uh, which is such a fantastic and amazing idea that you did that. That you took took that and then did that is just that's uh, I love it. I yes, and love I love it. the idea that it's sitting on a bookshelf and it's going to persist decade after decade, perhaps century after century, and just that person in the year twenty two thirty just finding that book in a weird basement somewhere and whatever's going on in the world at that time. Oh, wow. I wonder if I can find these files on, on, on the, in the archives of humanity and then finding them and listening. And I just, that really is, is the thing that is, I find the most interesting and the most exciting. Just we'll never know unless we have a time machine, uh, how, <laughs> what will happen. But just thinking about it, I think the fact that I could, you know, have an, an, an a positive effect on someone's life in the far future it really, you know, really, um, it's really a nice thought. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and look, it, as far as, uh, I mean, you know, continuing legacies and, and things lasting, you know, far into the future or, or, or you know, even prognosticating on, on how to secure one's legacy, um, you know, I think that that's a good segue to, to kind of, well, it's a clumsy segue uh, to get into what we were talking about at the top of the show, the, the Andy Kaufman press conference. And essentially, you know, yeah, what uh, did you see that Andy Kaufman uh, left behind uh, as far as creating not just the, the content and the work that he did while he was alive, but uh, this, this creating this lasting legacy that, that people also seem to keep discovering every few years and, and, and falling down these rabbit holes. And you fell way deeper, probably deeper than, than most. Uh, you are one of the few people to have, have met a gentleman that we will be talking about a little bit um, and, uh, and has interviewed him as well. Uh, and it all started with uh, what we were calling the Andy Kaufman press conference that was about 15 years ago now. Yeah, so, so I'll tell you what happened. So, so we talked about The Rambler, which was the show that – the new show where I was walking around New York City. And at that time, I was also a very heavy early Twitter user that so would tweet like 100 times a day, very cringy. <laughs> and I'm sure those archives are out there somewhere. I don't even want to see them anymore. <laughs> Um, but someone contacted me who's, who was named Andy Kaufman. He's like, hey, I'm Andy Kaufman. You know, I, I know everyone thinks I died in 1984, but I'm still alive. And he started, uh, you know, talking to me back and forth on Twitter. And eventually he's like, listen, uh, you know, we want to do an interview. I'm like, hell yeah, that sounds interesting. So um, I had I, – I, so we, we had a, I had a phone hookup, and he, he, I interviewed this guy. I had no idea who it was. I thought it could have been Andy. I really thought at that point it could have been Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. And he used a voice changer, and you can still hear that show on, 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 on my archive. And yep. I interviewed him about all this stuff, and he was laying out this, uh, this story about what happened. How did Andy Kaufman fake his death? And this was a fairly consistent story that lasted throughout the entire process. Because I'd say since 2008, for, I don't know, five or six years after that, this kept going. story was, and I'm sure you know the story very well, but Andy Kaufman yep. was a very famous comedian. He was, um, he was on the very first episode of Saturday Night Live, I believe in 75. He wasn't a cast member, yep. but he was on the show. I think he did the Mighty Mouse thing, I believe. And yep. um, he was, uh, I guess you could say like an avant-garde kind of comedian, and he would always push the envelope to the point that sometimes he pushed it too far and people – got upset and didn't know what he was doing. 
But he got on this show called Taxi, a, a, a sitcom. Hello? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I heard, I heard, yep. I heard a, a beep. He got on this sitcom uh, Taxi, which the younger people would never have heard of, but Taxi was kind of a massive TV success, a huge sitcom um, about people driving taxis in New York City. And he played Latka Gravis, who was a, his foreign man character. Thank you very much. So he became yep. a massive star. People knew of him before this, but Taxi pushed him over the edge. Yeah, Cat- uh, he started to uh, – apparently he had no interest in money. He lived in a bare apartment in Los Angeles, sent all the money he was making back to his parents in Long Island, New York, and was truly, truly this unique weirdo that just wanted to explore. Uh, for example, he was really interested in professional wrestling because he was interested in kayfabe, the concept that in a normal show – you're the character on the stage, but as soon as you walk off the stage and meet the people in the audience, you're, you're now yourself. But mm-hmm. why, do you, why can't you continue being the character? He loved that kind of stuff. Yep. Of course, he got involved in professional wrestling, going on that TV show Fridays, of course, where very few members were involved, but he sort of came out of character and I can't do this anymore in the middle of the sketch. That was an amazing sketch. Yeah. Very There's famous. a great yep. – uh, he was on uh, David Letterman's, I think, his daytime talk show, which I was actually watching at the time in 1980. Yep. Uh, where he uh, – this is a pretty key video to watch, the, what, his appearance on Letterman in 1980, because he doesn't even look like Andy Kaufman. He looks disheveled. He's coughing. Yep. He's sneezing. He's sniffling. And you get a sort of a sense that here's a guy that really truly is trying to do something, you know, push the envelope and doesn't really care how it affects him. Eventually got to the point where he kind of burned all his bridges. It was cute for a while, but the actual professionals and, and the entertainment world – were baffled and kind of annoyed by this guy. So, as we all heard, though he was a health nut and didn't drink or smoke, got lung cancer and died in 1984. And this is all in that the movie with Jim Carrey, et cetera. And of course, uh, as you know, there's, I think as Dave Chappelle did a, a joke surrounding that movie recently that was, we don't need to go into details oh. of, but that kind of, yeah, that was kind of a, a moment, pop culture moment just this past month or two, I think. Oh, I didn't, anyway, I didn't so, catch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe that's what it was. So anyway, um, amid all the other controversy around that, that, that yeah, special. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, go on. The more controversy, <laughs> kind. Of, yeah. But anyway, so Andy Kaufman died. But at, as soon as he died, this rumor that he had faked his death because he had actually talked to this guy Alan Abel, who was a a master um, prankster, mm-hmm. about how he could fake his death. So that was, I guess, this was the next logical step of his evolution as an artist to now try to fake his own death, which Alan Abel had done. He had faked his own death, and he got it announced in the New York Times. And yep. right. And through that, I actually met Alan Abel once. It was weird. I interviewed nice. him. but um, uh, so, nice. so, so anyway, the, uh, it seemed like he was planning on faking his death, but then as sort of a cosmic coincidence in this horrible thing, he actually got lung cancer and actually died. So – because there was these chatter about him wanting to fake his death, from that moment, everyone thought it wasn't real, that he had faked it. And yeah. this has been going on for a long time. So when this guy contacted me in 2008, many years after 1984, um, I was aware. I was never – I was a fan of Andy Kaufman, not the hugest fan, but I, I was aware of all of this stuff, and I thought it was really interesting. I especially thought that a guy – pretending to be Andy Kaufman enough to like contact people on Twitter and use a voice changer and do an interview. I'm like, 
this guy's actually interesting. If it's not Andy Kaufman, like this is an interesting person, an interesting it's, story it's that someone cares yeah. so much about. Yeah. Yeah, and there was so, uh, I, you know, I, yeah. preceding yeah, that. Oh, preceding that, there was the Andy Kaufman Lives website, which he uh, was 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 his website, and I think that sprung up a few years before I think uh, he contacted you, and uh, yeah, and so so again, this interview was very fascinating. Um, as long as about an hour and a half interview, I believe, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I remember specifically he detailed this this really interesting story about from from what he knew that there was a, a, a Vietnam War veteran, there was a war veteran who was who was dying of cancer, and so Andy essentially swapped places with that man, and that man happened to be named Stephen Maddox. And Stephen Maddox was also the name of a character in a movie called The Running Man, not to be confused with the Schwarzenegger one, um, about a man who was looking for someone, I think, who faked his death. And then a few barnacles and details would get added on uh, as, as I was continuing to kind of stay with this for a few years. Um, you know, and that there was that, that there was this whole thing where Stephen was saying he was the the, uh, the illegitimate child of Andy that nobody knew about, and uh, that he was the whole Jack Nicholson thing. He was raised by a woman he thought was his aunt, was actually his mother. I mean, they all it really was just, um, and it was funny because he would recommend certain books like Paul Auster's The Book of Illusion, and in that there were a lot of these details that he would incorporate into his mythology. Uh, and I just thought it was really fascinating because really what he was doing was building a community. And he was playing a game with people. He called it a puzzle mentory. And it drew a lot of really neat and fascinating and talented people, um, you know, not, not only yourself, but, you know, friend, friend of the show, Kurt Clendenin, uh, Jack Bristow, uh, you know, John Christopher, or whatever he likes to call himself, uh, John Krauser, you know, a lot of, a lot of really neat and fascinating people. And one thing that I remember from that interview that I thought was great was that as Maddox was telling the story, he, 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 he did say the 80, 20, uh, that he is 80% skeptical that Andy Kaufman is alive but 20% uh, uh, believing in the impossible. Yeah, so what's, yeah, as you mentioned, his description of how Andy faked his death was so detailed and so plausible. Yeah. The idea that Andy, uh, I guess, found this Vietnam veteran who was dying of cancer that was his general height and weight didn't look like him necessarily, but was close enough and worked and, and negotiated with the guy to say, uh, I'm going to pay for your, I'm, you know, since I'm rich, I'm going to pay for your medical care and we're going to try to cure you of cancer. But if not, what's going to happen is me and then his parents uh, are going to, um, you know, when you're, if you're going to die on your deathbed, we're going to swap wallets. I'm going to take your ID and you're going to take mine. And because when he, this guy, you know, someone dying of cancer is all gaunt and doesn't look like themselves anymore. There could even be an open casket. The parents identify mm -hmm. the body as their son, Andy Kaufman. Andy takes the guy's ID card. And back then, in the 80s, a lot of driver's licenses and IDs didn't even have a picture on it, as you, as you may recall. Mm -hmm. And so he says he went off. He took this guy's identity. Oh, I beat cancer. And now I'm, I think the guy's name was Nathan something. Nathan, yeah. Or Nathan and, McCoy, uh, that's right. It was Nathan, Nathan McCoy. McCoy. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. 
So, um, and he said he went off and never intending to actually reveal this to anyone. And he uh, assumed Nathan McCoy's identity. And I'm like, I asked him, well, you're so distinctive looking. And he's like, no, people know me as Lot Kagravis from Taxi. That's yeah. why I'm saying that Letterman episode from 1980, that guy, if you were seeing him on the street, you wouldn't even recognize him. You would, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's anyway, like, he uh, said that. Just, yeah. It's like that thing about That's Henry Cavill walking around uh, Times Square with a Superman logo shirt on in front of the, the Superman Times Square billboard, and nobody batted an eye. You know? yeah. So that I thought was you – know, and then his parents committed a crime, if this is true, by identifying the body. It's a serious crime, and they could be prosecuted so, for it. So everybody had to keep their mouth shut. Yes, exactly. So this was his story on the interview, and I found it fascinating. He still was maintaining that he was Andy Kaufman at the time. That's right, um, yeah. And it was funny who we eventually came to know this guy as someone named Stephen Maddox. He he quoted an old commercial from the 70s, uh, the Connect Four uh, board game. Pretty sneaky, sis. He quoted that. And I, and I said – and I, I immediately – Andy Kaufman was too old to have been affected by that commercial. But if you're younger, if you're more – you know, a Gen Xer or, or, or late boomer, you would have been affected by that, that TV commercial, which they showed 100 times a day. So I'm like, I don't think mm -hmm. you're Andy Kaufman because you said that quote. He decided to set up this press conference in New Jersey, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, in a hotel. This is the most bizarre, <laughs> surreal thing ever. Um, he asked if I would host it. And at this point, I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know if, if he is a friend of Andy Kaufman who's still alive. Is Andy Kaufman going to pop out? It was... Uh, Wild, and I just I put up the video on I think it's on YouTube, Man of the Mailman's video to preserve yep. it of of the press conference. Recently, I re-released that. Um, I thought I was going to go there, and he was going to he was going to meet me and tell me all about what was really going on and bring me into the secrets behind the scenes. He did not. I went there, <laughs> and um, the night before the press conference, he came to my room. So this person yep. that we know, Stephen Maddox, came to my room, but he was wearing a monster mask. I did not see his face. <laughs> So, years later, we did see his face on one of those Google Hangouts, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, and I talked to him. It was so weird, but he remained opaque and vague and everything else. The next day, we did the press conference, and you can see and hear the entire press conference uh, on the archive and, and the, uh, on the video on YouTube, which has a lot of it. And what was so interesting is that everyone thought I was in on it, and, and they were accusing right. me of Gethard, who – Weirdly, after that, became kind of a big star, like with his own TV show and stuff, uh, accusing yeah. me of being – he's like, okay, Rampler. He was accusing me of like being on the inside of this thing. But it, it's so funny because I've been so into conspiracy theories my whole life. Here's one that I'm sort of featured in. I'm like, no, really, I'm not. I'm not. You're just reading into it. You're reading too much into it. Um, so there was a lot of video taken by – there were video cameras that he had. There were all these people. In monster masks, there was puppet shows. There was all the stuff going on, and um, in the end, we, there was really no answer. The press conference was, as you as you can see if you watch it, is was kind of weirdly pointless, and there was no information. And uh, so, after that, right, I, I occasionally did have phone conversations with this Stephen Maddox, and there was a lot of group calls we had with him. Mm -hmm. um, actually. Another interesting side note is this guy, John Lundberg, who made – who was a document, documentary filmmaker, also someone that's worked with 
Banksy, also someone who is alleged to be part of the British intelligence community? Oh, oh, Am I yeah, oh I've, I, I yeah. talked about this with Kurt uh, when he was on the show a couple of years ago. Yeah, I don't think John Lundberg exists. I, don't, I think he is a fabrication as well. Well, I met him. I mean, he came to New York and interviewed me for his documentary called Andy Kaufman Lives. He's also right. the guy that apparently went and made all the crop circles. So this is now connecting this to the weird <laughs> mainstream, weird Illuminati, you know, uh, dark ops, uh, weird conspiracy theory stuff. This guy actually interviewed me in New York City. I think it's over 10 years ago now. The movie's never yeah. come out. Yeah, but I did meet never. I, it will I never met him. Come out. And it, I met him and his partner, but they made a movie called Mirage Men that I never actually saw about how the whole UFO phenomenon was fake, was, was yes, a, yeah. a fake from the beginning. So anyway, yeah. over, over the years, Stephen Maddox did more and more and more um, little things, little announcements, press, uh, not press conferences, but other little like video streams and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so eventually it all sort of died contribute. down. He would get people to send in little clips of a script that he sent that that he would send you, and yes. you know, I did this too, yeah. Like, and he would string all of those together to start to tell this narrative, to tell this story, and a lot of it was like these these shadow YouTube channels that he had. Um, like, you really had to go searching for a lot of this stuff, uh, and then things would just never finish. They would just kind of drop off, and then he would come so back was, again. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of stuff that went on. There was a point where he released this picture of this guy that looked like he could have been an older Andy Kaufman who was working at the Circle K at, at the Cottonwood Mall in, 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 uh, in um, New Mexico, yep. which is where, actually where they filmed Better Call Saul as well. But anyway, um, so I'm going to tell you and, and, at the end of all this, this is – Go ahead. It's funny because in Better Call Saul, there is a, there is a, uh, a scene, and I think – I forget it. I think it's um, – I think it's when Gus is with uh, is meeting a couple jet businessmen, and there, there's like businessman one and businessman two. But in the credits, it's there, the one man is is, is credited uh, Andy Kaufman is the character's name, really? I believe. Yeah, yeah, I gotta I remember that from way back when. I I gotta see if I can ever find that again. But yeah. So uh, yeah, so I want to just tell you after all of this, right? We have got some answers and some clues as to what's going on, right? Yeah. So. This is my ultimate understanding of Stephen Maddox, the guy that was from Indianapolis, Indiana, moved to um, uh, New Mexico and – Obsessed with the Burger he, Chef murders. Yeah. So he had weird this, this is the theory. This is, this is my best theory of what's going on here. Stephen Maddox's father was part of Andy Kaufman's inner circle, and mm-hmm. on Andy Kaufman's deathbed, the people that were around him, he made them swear – Right, Andy Kaufman, the Andy Kaufman before he died, he's like, listen, I want all of you to promise me that you will do everything you can to perpetuate the idea that I faked my death because I want this to continue on. I don't want my death to be in vain. I want people to keep wondering. So Stephen Maddox was the son of this guy. This guy mm-hmm. told Stephen, his son Stephen Maddox all about the final wishes of Andy Kaufman. And when Stephen Maddox's father passed away, Stephen Maddox felt it was his duty. He was sworn to uh, perpetuate this. So what he started doing is um, making uh, these – on the internet, creating what he, would, what he described as a uh, breadcrumb trail that people in the future could follow. He didn't yep. care what it was. It was started off in web forums and then on Twitter, and then he just found me as someone that he felt he could sort of use me to create these, 
this media that would uh, that would and what we're doing right now is actually the same thing. We're actually perpetuating the same story. Oh, and yeah. at one point on one of the later uh, video uh, shows that we did with him, he's like, "Listen, I don't even want to do this. I have to do this." He actually yeah, said something right, like right. that. Yeah, and and yeah. so so that is the theory that he is a person. That's why his story is super interesting too. He's a guy yeah. who sort oh, of yeah. inher- inherited this responsibility from his father, and he was doing everything he could. He said this press conference, he enlisted his friends and family from Indianapolis to come out to New Jersey to perform this press conference. Uh, and early after the press conference, I asked him, oh, when are, when are we going to see the video that you were taking? He's like, well, don't hold your breath. Right, he was never right. intending on releasing that. He released a few seconds of that video. So yeah, he was yeah. just trying to feed the Internet with endless breadcrumbs and, 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 and rabbit holes about Andy Kaufman having faked his death. That, to me, is a super, super interesting story. Oh, my, 100%. And yes, my, I, I, I do sort of feel like I feel most likely that Andy Kaufman did die in 1984, and then they have been trying to perpetuate this myth. Um, but well, I find my, it a super my, interesting story, yeah. Yeah, well, my take is that I, 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 there's a part of me that does believe that Andy faked his death. He did not die in mid-May of 1984, but like two weeks later, you know, high on the fact that he got 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 away with it, uh, crossing the street and got creamed by a bus. <laughs> that that could be. <laughs> no, that's the thing. The idea is that even if he did fake his death and he, and he passed away, you know, uh, between then and now. Um, that that legend still persists, and no one will ever know for sure, right? Depending on on what you want to want to approach it from what angle you want to approach it as. Um, I think one of the things that Steve did that was very much in the spirit of Andy Kaufman was this idea of bringing people together because Andy's whole shtick was about creating an experience, right? Andy never said he was a comedian, he said he was a song and dance man. Uh, but it was the, the idea that he was pulling people into scenarios like the Fridays thing or the touch my celebrity boil, you know, uh, or the wrestling stuff. He was, it, he was making the audience active participants. And Stephen was doing this as well. And one of Andy's signature songs, his sing-along songs from his specials and stuff, was This Friendly World. And it's a great scene at the end of that movie, Man of the Moon, you know, where, where the audience is invited to put the arm around the person next to them and sing along to This Friendly World. And that's kind of what Stephen did. He brought a whole bunch of us together, these people who were just obsessed and following and getting involved and then starting to interact with each other and having these Google Hangouts or, or the night of what would have been the, um, you know, 15 years ago, what would have been, my math is terrible, the 25th anniversary of, uh, of, of Andy's passing. And he used something that you were to read at a specific time. Uh, and we were watching that live. Uh, you know, all that really fun and fascinating stuff that pulled us together. And, you know, I've said this before, like, I, I'm in touch with you, and I'm in touch with Kurt, and I'm in touch with Kat, and, you know, all these people that I am still in touch with because of Stephen Maddox. And you look at the measure of success that people like Chris Gathard has had, that you have had, that Kurt has had, uh, that Jack has had as far as getting his stories published in magazines and things like that. I mean, it, it's sort of like he kind of gave that boost and that inspiration uh, to, to, to get people to – 
pursue their dreams, to literally believe the impossible. Not so much about, about Andy being alive, but about what they are capable of doing. Uh, and I think that's fantastic. And I think that it was great that you were at the forefront of this, and that you had that exposure and that that got you exposure and attention. And, I, uh, you know, not, we have about five minutes left. Uh, so I'm going to ask you one last question. Uh, and then, um, you know, but I want, I'm, I'm inspired by you and I want you to keep going. And I'd love for you to come back uh, at, at some point. We can talk a little bit more about how the, you know, how deep you got into the Andy stuff uh, with Steven Maddox and a whole bunch of other stuff about the world of podcasting and what you do. Uh, but in the last five minutes, I just really quickly, I want to, you know, as the, the, the Rampler and now, you know, not using that moniker, but you do a lot of chronicling and mono, monologuing of specific places in New York and New Jersey. Uh, what is the one place that you have not yet been to, but that you would like to go uh, for an episode of the onset. Well, first of all, I just want to say, if Stephen Maddox is listening, which I hope he is, I would love for you to just come out of your shell, be Stephen Maddox, and come on my show and other people's show. You're a super interesting guy. I'd love you just to be yourself. I'd love to meet you nice. uh, for yourself. But as far as yeah. where I want to go, specifically, there is that new Hindu temple down in Robbinsville near Trenton, New Jersey, the largest Hindu temple in the world. I really, really want to go there, and uh, that's I, I plan on going there soon. And another word that starts with H-I-N-D, where the Hindenburg crashed, a Lakehurst neighborhood, ah! also in New Jersey. I tried going there, but apparently you have to apply because it's a naval base. They do a background check on you. This is just to take a tour. But I need wow. to go see where the Hindenburg crashed because the guy, you know, the guy is like, oh, all the humanity, he – there's a time correct. There's a speed corrected version out there where he doesn't sound like so weird, but the fact that so much stuff happened, so much history happened in New Jersey. So the Hindu temple and the Hindenburg crash site, those are the next two big places I'm going to go in this area. <laughs> well, that that is awesome. That is awesome. I would I, I will look forward to that. Yeah, I got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, Frank, thank you again so much. Honored to have you here. Uh, and again, I do hope you would like to come back. Uh, let's, Absolutely. Uh, maybe someday. Let's uh, if I'm ever down down your way. Let's uh, let's grab a beer or something. Uh, but yeah, keep doing what you do. Uh, you are just a true pioneer and something that you know I think people should definitely be inspired by as much as I am as well. well I have to come um, to the comic book store you work at at some point. I used to work at a comic book store in the '80s too, so uh, yeah. I experience well, that. that's. Yeah. A- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all you just jump my segue here uh first i want to give uh, your website another shout out it's on sug.com on sugar without the a-r uh yes. o-n-s-u-g.com uh yes. tons of of hours of content there for you to peruse and enjoy and uh as well you can order the book uh you can listen to some of these interviews and, and shows that we were talking about uh i can be found on Facebook as John Carl Yastrzemski Peppies. Give me a shout out. And I can also be found at the Joker's Child in Fairlaw, New Jersey. Uh, 35 really? years and running. Uh, one of the best comic shops on the East Coast, if not the world. I'm just You're at the Joker's Child? Really? Say. Really? Yeah. I bought Starlog yeah. there once. And I, and I, back in the 80s, it's, it's, it's too much of a story, but... I used to sort of stay at this photographer's studio right across the street from there in Fairlawn. So, yeah, so we'll have to oh, talk about that next time. Oh, we'll, we'll have to talk about that a little <laughs> bit more, too. Uh, folks, I have like half a minute left. I just want to leave you with a quote from Carl Weathers. Uh, this is really uh, in, uh, in line with everything we've been talking about. The quote is, 
believe in yourself and all that you are. Know that there is something inside you that is greater than any obstacle. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here for the pep talk. Frank, thank you. Uh, until next time, folks, have a great day. Be, be beating obstacles. That was a terrible sign-off, but, you know, do it. <laughs> See you next time. Ever feel judged at the gym? You don't know how to use the leg curl machine? At Planet Fitness, get energy without the judgment. Join the judgment-free zone today during the Big Fitness Energy Sale for $1 down, $14.99 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal in Friday, February 16th. See Home Club for details.